Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is the History Worth Saving Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. Fair warning, the content of this episode might not be appropriate for younger listeners. Nothing bad. We're just talking about grief. All month long, we've had on makers, people who have made incredible things. Today's guests are no different. They're building a ministry to help people overcome grief. Life and death, it's so certain. But here's the thing, grief is something that we just don't plan for. We don't try to become better friends for someone who's grieving. We don't try to become better brothers and sisters or even husbands and wives. So today we're gonna focus on something that, it's tough, it is so difficult to talk about and it's even harder to be okay with it but today we're going to dive into that and if you have been down that path that that darkness where you can't even breathe then you know this and I hope I hope that you'll be a part of this conversation that you'll continue it and that you'll help me out you'll help me flesh this out on social media as it moves forward as the episode continues to track and if you're someone who's never been there odds are you know someone who is and so today we're talking with Matt and Stephanie Reggitz and I can just tell you from knowing these these two incredibly wonderful humans they are a model a model of marriage and family and they're just, they are truly wonderful people. So what you hear today is not a soundbite for radio. These are, these are personal friends, and I have seen them grow, survive, and truly thrive. Coincidentally, that is the name of their ministry, Survive and Thrive Ministries. And Matt and Stephanie Reggitz are joining me right now from their home in Houston. I want to point out that I, I will never forget that morning it was the better part of 20 years ago now when your brother David left me a voicemail saying that your daughter had died two-year-old Mary Claire died in her sleep and that begins this entire journey for the two of you glad you could be here thanks Matt I uh, realized as you said all of that that you know, you were there as a friend, um, watching us go through this and, and actually, uh, entering into it. And I think that's the thing that's worth noting at the front is we don't choose grief. It, it chooses us. And it's not just the person like Stephanie and me that have gone through this. It chooses its all the family members, all the friends you get drug into this. 
uh, almost kicking and screaming against your will and wishing you could change everything. So as I hear you say that, you know, uh, how long ago it really was, um, we just hit that mark on June 20th. Uh, you know, annual the annual remembrance of us losing our daughter is a is like revisiting grief once a year, and uh, it really is something not only that we don't choose uh, that chooses us, but something that never really goes away. Uh, it's like I have a Mary Claire sized hole in my heart uh, that constantly needs to be tended to. Yep, and and bringing back to that day, knowing that so many of those phone calls were made to our friends um, and how many of them just dropped everything. Um, And I can remember one of Matt's best friends, Andy, actually, he was so stunned. He didn't know what to do. And his mother-in-law who had wisdom and life experience said, you just go, Mm. you just go, you just drop everything and you just go. And they lived across town and, Um, she, his wife had, um, been a photographer and taken the most recent pictures of our daughter with me and our newborn son. And, and she collected those, you know, had them, um, made for us into a photo album within (laughs) days and, um, just people using their gifts. That was what was, what happened is you just saw people, use their gifts to um, to come and be with us during those hardest days of our life. And the two of you have worked in and around the church and the ministry for, for a lifetime. So this was something that, you know, a lot of people would look at and they would say, well, my goodness, they're so, they're so blessed to have this faith and this, this rich well to draw from. But in your case, it was a little different because unlike a lot of, cases with grief and with death, there was no closure. I mean, with Mary Claire, there was never a definitive, this is what happened. You never had that satisfaction. Right. And a lot of, there's a lot of extra pain in regards to that, because when you have a reason, your brain can kind of, um, like you say, find closure or at least make sense of it. And um, it took us several months to actually find a group of families that had experienced the same loss. And in that time, you know, it's, it was easy for people to, to say things that gave them peace, but actually added to our pain by, well, God chose you for this, or, you know, he just needed your little girl or, you know, things like that. She's in a better place. She's in a better place or um, things like that, that could, that really brought us back to a struggle in our, our faith. Yeah, I would say uh, not just closure um, on what had happened, but also it's nice to put our blame on something. Mm. I mean, I mean, isn't that just the way that we seem to work in, in politics and society and even in churches? Like, if I can put blame on the devil, or if I can, you know, in this case for us, you know, for like the things I do wrong, but in this case, if we could have put blame on a negligent doctor or a right. babysitter, or a drunk driver, um, maybe that would help somehow. But for me, just for, for people listening, um, she went to bed with a fever and a cough. And we even checked on her in the middle of the night, and the parents out there listening know the safest place your sick child can be is in their bed asleep. And we found out that that wasn't the case because in the morning I went to wake her up and she was, she was already gone. 
So we never got a reason. Even months later, the group we found was called Sudden Unexplained Death in Childhood, which is a foundation, uh, like a sister foundation to SIDS, but for older children. Our daughter was two. She didn't have, you know, SIDS. But SUDC basically means we don't know. And so there would not, not only was there no closure, but people also wanted to fill the gaps in with what to say to us. And when you work in a religious group, you know, you work at a church, people want to come up with that pious answer that puts a bow on top or that keeps the universe spinning in the same path that they always saw it spinning in. But that's not always the case with death. It's not always the case where it just all makes sense, right? But even though we strive so hard uh, to make it make sense in our own mind so we can justify that God is still good and that, you know, our universe is still intact and that we're going to somehow be okay. And that's just not always the case. It's a it's a messy business. And you learn that when you have kids, especially from the father's role, is that there is nothing clean and tidy about life. <laughs> I think I'm, I, I am living proof. I would have loved to have been the 1950s dad. You know, the guy that like walks down to the bar and he has the cigar and the, you know, whatever, maybe, and you know, well, boys, here we go. That I would have gladly fit into that role, you know, but, but, and I mean, here I am in a farm, you know, where it, it is the circle of life every day, but I mean, it's, it's a nasty, gritty, beautiful, miraculous thing, life. And, and it's, it's all of that. And I would say too, my, my relationship with God helped me also understand my, as a parent, you would never, ever do anything to purposefully harm your child and like to recognize that, that God loves us immensely greater than that. It helped me see that he wouldn't have chosen this for us, but that somehow the universe, you know, allowed it to happen. And he, he was the one that actually helped inspire our friends to, help us pick up the pieces. That's where we saw God was in the friendships that um, stepped into the messiness and the uncomfortableness and did things to help resurrect us from this difficult place. And I, I know Matt, not everybody that, that listens is, is a Christian or of, uh, or, or even a believer at all. And uh, obviously the context was, was tricky for us too, because at first the only person or being we had to blame was God and, and to find out that somehow he was the one rescuing and not doing this to us. And I'll tell you, uh, regardless of how, how people feel about faith in the midst of all of this, that um, I will say that someone shared this advice one time on another podcast. They said, not everything that's true is helpful. So when we had well-meaning people saying to us, she's in a better place. Well, if you believe in heaven, and you believe what it we think about heaven, then you would probably say that's a true statement, right? Like heaven beats her little bedroom. But for me as a parent, that's not helpful because I didn't think there was anything wrong with her bedroom and I didn't want to lose my daughter at two. And I was hoping she would put me in the ground, not the other way around. So like you said, grief is messy. Um, it's not done in straight lines. It's not done with little bows on top. And if you spiritualize it, that doesn't make it any easier. It just gives us a way through it. And that's what our faith did for us is it gave us a way through it. You told me something, I don't know, a few months back when I called you about a, an incident that, that, again, as you said earlier in the start of this show, we get drug into this and get drug into grief. I remember I, I called you up and I said, you know, I just don't, I, what, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to yeah. be that guy, that friend 
you know, what do you do? And, and you gave this wonderful example uh, from Job. And everybody, even if you're not uh, familiar with this, go look this up. You talk about a bad day. Try, <laughs> try living the life of Job. And you said <laughs> they got it right in the first, you know, the first chapter. You know, all of his friends showed up and they just cried and they, they tore their, their clothes. And they just, man, it was, it was just grief in the rawest and purest form. And then they spent the entire rest of the, of the book just being bad actors in his life. So you kind of realize that, right? I it's mean, such a bad balance too, Matt. It's actually two verses in the second chapter of Job where his friends get it right. And for like 38 chapters, they get it wrong. They get it wrong. And so, Which should be a message to all of us that we right. probably are going to spend more time getting it wrong than we do right. And there's a definite art form to knowing how to accompany someone through grief because it is not natural to uh, know how to accompany people because here's what we do, Matt. Here's our default is we want to fix it and we want to take it away. So let's talk and, about that. Give me some practical and give me some practical tips on this because everybody struggles with this. Well, like like we said, showing up first and foremost, which in and especially in those days afterwards, you know, there's different people at different places in your life and they might think, "Oh, well, I'm insignificant," you know, but if if you feel this tug to reach out to someone and you have the capacity, you have the desire and the capacity, I would say that's the Holy Spirit telling you, show up. Um, and showing up and just sitting and being, I can remember sitting on my bed with the nursing baby and having 10 or 12 women just in the room with me. Um, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but we were talking, we were laughing, we were crying, we were doing it all, but they were just being present to me. And of course, we know so many women um, show up with food, and that is a huge gift to the families to show up with food. Um, we actually set up a system because we had so many people wanting to give us food after, you know, for days or weeks afterwards. And something that helped us was having the food delivered, not necessarily even to us, but to like a neighbor or to a family member so that we weren't having to encounter people grieving with us or for us every time we open the door. Cause you know, those days afterwards, some days you want to see people and some days you don't, but people are still wanting to take care of you. And there's a gift in that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I think two things just to kind of drive it home about showing up two things. Don't wait for an invitation because I think that's a lot of times what we think, like, you know, Stephanie said, if they feel insignificant in your life, or maybe I'm not their closest friend, but I'm a close friend. So I'll wait until they reach out to me. It's not going to happen. When someone is grieving, they will reach out to about two people in their life. Everyone else needs to take it upon themselves and just show up. And the other thing, you're going to get a lot, you're, the, the, the inclination, this is, this is kind of cultural how we do things. We're going to say to them, if you need anything, call me, or we're going to text them. I'm so sorry. I'm here if you need me. What we've done at that point is we've put it back on the griever to reach out when they need you. They're not going to do it. Just show up. If you have an urge, it's something in you moving to do it and do it. And I'll give you an example. When I woke up on the uh, like a, a Saturday morning after we lost her, I heard lawnmowers in my in my yard, and I opened the windows and I had three neighbors mowing my yard. Wow. Now, I'm going to tell you, 
I never would have picked the phone up and called those three guys and said, you know, I'm having a rough day. Could y'all come mow my yard? Mm. But you know what? They just showed up. And I, I remember going back, laying in bed and just crying with my wife, feeling loved like that where they chose it, not because they, you know, because I asked them, not because they felt required, but because they moved themselves into that space of being uncomfortable and just chose it. And that was a huge gift. Let's talk about surviving with the marriage, because so oftentimes in a situation like this, even, even with a disease, even with cancer, you find that, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of head games that go on and, and whether you're a believer or, or not, I mean, you get these thoughts in your head and, and it, it often pits husband against wife, wife against husband, or, or parents against kids. I mean, it, it's just grief is, it gets in there and it just, it just drives a wedge sometimes. How do, you, how do you handle that? How do you move forward when, when you're dealing with something like that, whether it's the blame game, I guess, or, or whatever it is? How, how do you deal with that, Matt, or Stephanie, either of you? I would say for us, it, it took so many different tactics. I mean, there, we did actually reach out to a counselor in the early days, um, kind of proactively. And um, she was able to kind of help us just kind of have a starting ground for understanding how we could move forward in grief. Um, and then I think a lot of it was just constant communication and recognition that like this is going to be messy and we're going to have to be intentional and like give each other some space to to do whatever it is. I mean, for me personally, I'm an introvert, so I typically would appreciate time by myself to recharge, but in this circumstance, for whatever reason, being alone was really scary. Um, I think it was that there was a fear of, of being out of control in grief, that like if I was left to myself, that I would experience grief that was unbearable. Almost like despair. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I would kind of just like to have company around the house, whether that was Matt or another relative or friend. I mean, even if it was like, Hey, I just, you know, I don't want to be by myself. I got to go take a shower, but can you just (laughs) be in the next room? Mm -hmm. You know? So we were just trying to like be honest and communicate what we needed. And for me, um, I'm a male, I'm an extrovert, I'm a thinker and I'm a fixer. So all of those things, I I can't tell you which one was always operating, but when I would see my wife curled up in a ball on the bed, all I wanted to do was fix it. I didn't just think to myself, let me go do the two verses from Job 2 and just embrace her and cry with her. I wanted to fix it. I wanted to go into those other 38 chapters like his friends did. But you realize how many people really want, want to fix it. And grief is a journey and it's a process. And those sound so cliche, but we can't fix it. It has to be felt. It has to be dealt. It has to be like muddied through. It's messy stuff. And in a marriage, uh, the blessing for us was I wasn't blaming her and she wasn't blaming me. And I know that adds a totally different layer into this when there's been some sort of like oversight or negligence or accident where a parent might be feeling responsible, but neither one of 
of us really felt responsible other than me. I think early on I did feel like what else could I have done to save her that morning before the paramedics got here? What else did I miss? So there's some of that that has to go through, but we really journeyed through this together. We embraced each other and we gave each other space to grieve while also making sure that we weren't grieving alone. I I, want to just back up because there are so many people who are in that position where that doubt creeps in, you know, well, if, if, if you had just done this, what do you, what do you say to that person? We, uh, we talk a lot about being intentional, Matt, and putting ourselves, Stephanie can share this about putting ourselves in place of peace, but you, we, we think about living on purpose. And this goes all the way back to like, if you think about when you were dating that person, you did it with intentionality and purpose, right? Like you, you, you tried hard to impress them. You, you wanted to take care of them. You, you know, you would take them to dinner. You would plan dates. You would plan when you're going to see them again. So everything when you were dating was on purpose. And then you get engaged and you start making these very purposeful plans for the wedding itself and for the honeymoon. And then after you get married, you start making these purposeful plans for children and what that's going to look like and what color you're going to paint the room. And, you know, is mom going to go back to work? Are you going to use a daycare, whatever those are. And so we've seen this idea of being intentional and purpose as something that needs to carry through our entire lives and our entire relationships. So in grief, we believe you can do grief on purpose and intentionally. So if if what happens a lot of times is we, we lose the intention or the purpose and we're just only feeling it and that can cause us to like drift in our marriages. So to come back and say, what can we do on purpose to get through this? Uh, are we part of a church community? Are we uh, looking into counseling and therapy? Are we uh, putting dates on the calendar for us to to go on dates together? The other thing is recognizing when, you know, different times of the year are are definite triggers. And for everybody who's grieving, there's going to be different ones that you can identify. Um, but like holidays, birthdays, passing days, Father's Days, you know, all those kind of things. And for us, we would really try to put a plan in place to kind of attack those those times that were coming up. On purpose again. Knowing that like, okay, this is going to be hard and it's a little bit easier to deal with it a few weeks or months out knowing it's going to be hard rather than like as it approaches. Because those days before those dates tend to be heavier. I can say just this past Um, Father's Day fell the day after Mary Claire's passing. And the day of her passing, we had a lot of things planned. But that Father's Day, we were away together. But I carried heaviness all day. I mean, I I really wanted to just lay in bed and um, and kind of just not do anything just because it just felt heavy. And I think that's that's definitely something in grief that's a cycle a part of it is just this heaviness. It's almost like your body feels like it's crying even though it's not. And you just, you don't have the energy or the the way to, to purge that mm-hmm. feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're the, if you're the, if you're the dad who said, I, and, and this is a real case with a real friend, he said, you know, I, I'll never forget I felt like we needed to go to this hospital. I felt like we needed to take our son to this hospital. I had researched it, he said, and we went. And his wife was just dead set against it. And it was for, you know, a, a leukemia, childhood leukemia treatment. 
And I remember the mother telling me, she said, I, I forever blamed him mm-hmm. for, that, for that decision. And, you know, mm-hmm. as someone that's just a friend and you look into this window, you know, what, what do you say? And what, what do you do? And, 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 and that just, it, it creeps into the relationship. And eventually, you know, eight, nine months down the road, you're wondering at what point is enough enough. And I think that's what so many people we're trying yeah. to be good friends and husbands and fathers deal with. And I don't think there's ever an answer to that, is there? It's, it's, I mean, I can't imagine it's probably one of the best responses. And I hate this for you. Um, those two responses for me and watching, you know, you, you can't control the person's emotions or their spouse's emotions. You know, um, your hope would be that, in prayer, they would find a way. I really do think having a third-party counselor to help walk through those things helps. Yeah. And a friend, you know, we all need friends. The problem in marriages too, though, right, is we rely on a friend and sometimes the friend takes one side or the other. And it can, it can be a challenge for that friend to stay not just objective, but unifying for the couple. Because if Stephanie was taking all of her complaints to a friend about me, she needs to be able to do that. As long as we keep in check, like that friend is going to be her advocate. We need our own advocates, but you also need an advocate together. If that's a pastor, if that's a counselor, if that's another couple friend, this is one of those other things on purpose. Choose it and do it. Don't wait. Just, just okay, I heard this podcast today. I'm going to choose, like Matt and Stephanie said, just to make one step today. Call a couple and say, we're really struggling. Can we just sit down with you? make that next step. You know, when we started our ministry, Survive and Thrive Ministries, we realized there were periods of survival, which is just, hey, tomorrow the win for me is going to be to get up out of bed and to make my own breakfast. And that will grow, right? Your survival will grow as you can survive more and put more steps in front of you and more days. You know, time's been a, a friend to us. I mean, it's been 14 years now. That's, we don't grieve the same way every year that we did that first year. And then Thrival, That's what happens when you get really good at survival, when you can start putting things in place where you're doing life and grief on purpose, you can thrive again. I didn't think we'd ever smile again, Matt. And not only are we smiling again, we have more children in the house. We go on vacations and I'm even doing, we're doing a podcast with you about grief. I never wanted to talk about my grief. (laughs) Well, and and listen, I want to get to this in the last few minutes. The goal here as with every show is for me to have more questions at the end than I have time for. And yeah. that's always that's always the way it is with the two of you, especially. Survive and Thrive Ministries is uh, available. I know on Facebook you can just type in Survive and Thrive Ministries, and you'll see a picture of the two of you right there. Who? And this is something that I, I just the two of you literally with Mary Claire were on the cover of a magazine. Mm-hmm. Literally, the I mean, the month that this happened, a, a poster child. For the perfect family, or a family that certainly was doing it right, and 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 yet here we are. It it as they say, bad things happen to good people, and that is probably one of those terrible things to not say to people. Yeah. But yeah. it's here I am being the bad yeah. friend. But my point no. is, you think you think that this stuff only happens to you, and yet it's your neighbor, you know, it's someone so close to you, and you can. Maybe give them the gift of just saying, hey, check, check this out. And Matt and Stephanie, I know that you say face-to-face is the best, but for someone who is just truly, truly in that deep, deep bit of sorrow, 
Survive and Thrive Ministries right there. Tell them what they're going to find when they come there. We really want it to just be a place to inspire hope at this point. Um, Matt and I have definitely taken our story lots of places, um, but we've we've more or less laid out step by step kind of what our life looked like and how we are continuing to to grow as a family in this um, to connect to people. You know, we're we're wanting people to find hope in knowing that their darkest days are not going to define their entire life, mm-hmm. that their, that joy will come mm-hmm. and, and to, we want to be authentic. Like we want people to be able to touch the truth in the grief, the, the messiness as much as the joy. We don't want to just put a pretty face on it. We mm-hmm. want them to be able to read our story and hopefully it will grow into a place that other people can share too, like their messiness and how they've come out on the other side and they're thriving as well. Is joy something that you have to have permission for when you're going through this? Yes. Yes. And you might say, oh, no, that's an emotion. No, there's times when you got to just choose joy. I mean, I I think it a little bit differently than happiness, you know, whether you want to call it a virtue or some sort of gift or not. But I think you've got to give yourself permission to feel joy again, because I'll tell you, those first moments when you actually, when I started feeling joy, I wanted to talk myself out of it because I thought somehow that meant I was uh, forgetting about Mary Claire or dishonoring her. Like I should just be sad all the time. And she's probably saying, dad, I don't want you to be sad. I want you to live fully alive. And, and so I did have to give myself permission to until again, uh, it felt natural just to do it without needing permission. All right, Stephanie and Matt, it is always so great to spend any amount of time with you, but today, mm-hmm. Thank you. I, you know, I hope you hear this and I hope that you go to Facebook and find Survive and Thrive Ministries, like the page, follow the page. And more importantly than that, please, please share it because your friend, your your husband, your wife, whoever it is that you want to share this with, don't ask permission, as Matt said, just, just share it. In, in closing, <clears throat> give me, give me like, Give me the one nugget here that you want to pass on because I know you, Matt. You've got something and you're just you're just holding it in. So let it out <laughs> in the last few seconds here. You know, life's tough enough to do on our own or just to do on the fly. And we need each other. And it doesn't just mean I need my wife. I need a community. And I want other people to know that have had messy lives that that's not going to define their future. And we can support each other to get through anything together if we do it on purpose and we just choose it and we know that that survival is not the end of it. Thriving is the end game. Amen. Stephanie, thank you. Thank you for coming on. And we'll talk real soon. It's Matt and Stephanie Reggett's Survive and Thrive Ministries. My thanks to both of you. Listen, if you enjoy this podcast, please share it. Get the word out about it. History Worth Saving, it is stories about you, unique American stories. We're focusing on our own backyard right now. I love this country. I love it with all of my heart. And I love that you think enough about this show to listen all the way through to the end, and I hope you got something out of it. Would you do me a favor? 
would you sign up for the newsletter once a month? I'll send you what we're doing here on the farm at Fair Chance, what's going on with the podcast and with the show. I just look forward to being a part of your life, and I so appreciate you welcoming me into yours. Get out there and know your neighbor. Until next week, I'm Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving.